You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. How is everybody tonight? Man, this is really, really bright up here. It's going to take me a minute or two to get focused. Uh, first, I have, I guess it, it's a gospel moment that I'd like to share uh, last Thursday, I got healed from something that I had been carrying around since I was in the third grade. Uh, anger and animosity toward a person that absolutely was holding me back in how I served the Lord in certain areas of my life. And I got to sit down at a table with this lady, and I didn't have to dump all my stuff on her. I didn't have to accuse or abuse or get angry, but I was so confused when this person that I thought hated me so much talked to me with love and respect. It was awesome, and God was watching out for me. Uh, Also, my wife had had a, a scare, a medical scare that was pretty bad for us, and uh, when it all came about, there were some x-rays that showed some problems in her lungs. And when it all came around, uh, it came back that it was scar tissue and not polyps. So we still don't know why she's coughing all the time, but uh, at least it's, it didn't go the way that it looked like it was going to go. So I just wanted to share that with you. Um, thank you for allowing me to be here. Have you ever noticed that every time I come, Joe's not here? And I go to his house, and I hear him inside, but they don't open the door. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love Joe. Uh, and I'm so glad for the graduation in his family and his home, uh, and just the opportunity to come and share tonight. We are going to be focusing on Acts 16 from 22 to 34, if you want to turn to that. I want to talk a little bit before that. What I want you to look for when we go into Scripture here is... Evidence of obedience and commitment. Um, The reason that I believe God laid this on my heart is I see a huge problem in our society today about people making a commitment and being being obedient to that. Um, As an employer... I have a lot of people come to me and want a job. And they'll tell me all these wonderful things about themselves, and I try to get them to stop because if they tell me it, I want it to be true, and I'm going to try and hold them to that. Um, It doesn't take very long before the backsliding starts. You know, I'll be there every day on time, and they don't make it a week usually. as I'm a lot older than everybody here, probably. Um, when I was young, when I was uh, in, my early, in my late teens, my early 20s, if you were late for work, you didn't get a paycheck. You didn't work that day. Uh, and uh, you needed the paycheck. You better show up for work on time, at least on time, if not early. Uh, I don't see any of that anymore. Even my most dedicated people don't even show up on time. Uh, they don't bother to call. When I have obligations that I ha- am responsible for, that I have all these things that I must get done, 
and all that weight comes back on my shoulders, it's disheartening to me that I can't, I can't find, I can't raise somebody to follow in and follow up with their commitments, to follow through and be obedient to just to what they say they'll do. I really believe that all of us have something inside of us that wants to be obedient, but I believe that our obedience gets skewed because of our perceptions, uh, because what we pursue, uh, what we call as a priority, you know, uh, we're, we're obedient to those things. Um, video games, terribly bad for me, okay? I am not good at them. I'm good at Pong. Not really, I, but I, that's one I know where you turn a little knob. Uh, <laughs> um, but I can spend hours and hours and hours. I get involved with one of these games, and I can spend days messing with it. I know young people that have literally worked themselves into ill health because they were so obedient to this game to getting to the next level that about made them crazy. Uh, that, that is a skewed commitment to something that doesn't really have a payoff. Because when you get the high score, that's it. Oh, there's no big benefit. Um, I don't know. I don't think it pays anything. If it does pay, there's some people out there that are probably way underpaid because they spend a lot of time in the games. Um, that's, the, that's my reason for this. When, if you look back at World War II, people were so obedient and so t- drawn to the cause that they took tires off of cars that they weren't driving daily and gave them to the government so they could grind them up and have rubber for tires for military vehicles. They gave up things that they were using, metal things that they were using, threw them on big trucks so they could take it and melt it down to make more armament. They voluntarily shorted themselves on food. They voluntarily allowed the government to hold rations on gas. I'm not giving up the rust bucket that sits in my driveway and moves once a month. Not. It's got tires on it. It's got good tires on it. But I'm not going to give that up. I don't need to. Do I? If I was asked, maybe I would. But maybe I wouldn't. It depends on the priority. People in World War II, they thought they were all going to die. They thought that, man, our country's going to get invaded and we are going to look like Europe in no time. So they were pretty, they had a reason to be that committed to that cause. Is that what it's going to take for our country, for our city, or you know, our state, our city, our county, our hometown? How about our community, our church community? Is that what it's going to take before we'll get so committed to the gospel, that we'll get so committed to the cause, that we'll actually come together and do something? 
I hope not, but I'm afraid so. I'm not going to talk bad about anybody. So if you hear me saying something that pokes you in the chest, remember I'm only doing it to myself. If you get convicted by what I say, good. But I'm not doing it to you. I am going to be preaching to myself probably. I usually do. Um, So, when we go into Scripture, I want to give you a little bit of background about this this certain passage. Paul and Silas are in prison together. Uh, They have been really, really successful. Back in, let me see where it was at exactly. In Acts 14. I'll find it. I know I will. And maybe I won't. Yep, there it is. Back back in Acts 14, Paul was with Barnabas in Lysidia. And there was a, a, a rich young man there that had, both his feet were crippled from the day he was born. He'd never walked. He'd never been able to get around on his own. He'd always had somebody to take care of him. And Paul healed that guy. By the name of Jesus Christ, Paul healed that guy. Now when the people of the city saw that, they started calling Paul and Barnabas gods. They called Barnabas Zeus, and they called Paul Hermes because Paul was their speaker. Those were the most powerful things in the Greek culture. Those two gods were the most powerful things. And Paul... And uh, Barnabas, you know what their response was? Please don't do that. Don't call me a God. Don't sacrifice to me. Don't do that. I'm just a man just like you. If somebody started calling me a God, my pride would probably take me right to the point where I would start to believe it. Uh, I'd be the first one to put myself on clay feet. So, but these guys didn't. They were obedient to the cause of Christ. They were obedient to the gospel. They were were obedient to the point of death. Or imprisonment. Or beating. Or stoning. Or all kinds of terrible things that people did to them. They were obedient to the gospel. And then they have this huge success where everybody's calling them gods. Man, I would have had real trouble sticking to what I was actually there for. So, uh, they go on. um, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. He argues his case in front of the apostles and the elders of the church, and they agree with him and send him on another mission trip. And he has success after success after success On these mission trips, people are coming to know the Lord, and he's sharing the gospel from his heart, and he is having success. Um, Paul and Barnabas got into an argument. Barnabas went one way, Paul went the other way, and that's where where Silas shows up, because Paul needed a traveling partner. Uh, They get into Philistia, and they were talking They just went to find a place to pray. And they were talking to some people about 
about the Lord Jesus and about his saving grace and his power. Um, that's when they got their first convert in uh, uh, Philistia. Her name was Lydia. Lydia was a very rich, uh, a very rich seller of purple fabrics, what's it called in my Bible here. And uh, she worshiped God as a, and was listening, and the Lord opened her heart uh, to respond to the things that Paul spoken by Paul. Now, she, was, she accepted the Lord. She was baptized right away. Um, and then she started urging Paul and Silas, come and stay with me, stay in my house. This is the richest lady in the place, okay, this Lydia. And she wants them to come and stay in her house. So they're in the lap of luxury staying at this house. Not only that, but any time they walked down the street, there was a young, a, a young um, fortune teller girl, she was a slave girl, would follow them around and say, uh, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. This was a young lady that was making her slave master, her owners, lots of money. And she was following them around, proclaiming this behind them. My pride would have been to the moon. I would have been walking around with my head this big around. I wouldn't have been able to function because I would have been so sucked into my own greatness. But that wasn't the case here. Paul got annoyed by it. So annoyed by it, he turned around in the name of Jesus Christ. He cast that spirit out of that slave girl. And her owners saw that they just lost their revenue because she couldn't tell fortunes anymore. She didn't have that spirit that was inside of her that allowed her to do that anymore because that spirit left because of the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to jump away here for just a second. In the Word, God tells us He's always the same. He never changes. The power that Paul used against that spirit in that girl, we all can possess that if we're believers in Jesus Christ. It's the name of Jesus that the power comes from, and we can possess that kind of power. Um, now I'm going back to where I was at. The guys that lost all the money, the guys that lost the revenue, they were a little ticked. Um, and so they made lies. They made up stories about Paul and Silas, and they had them brought before the magistrates. They did not go to court. They brought them up and said, these guys are stirring up the, they're stirring up the community, causing confusion, causing people to do things that aren't right for Romans to be doing. Um, so the magistrates um, will start, I'll just hear the word of the Lord. Father, please uh, bless us with your word. Help me, Father, to uh, make my point and to make your point as we go through these scriptures, Lord. Open our ears and hearts and minds to hear your word, Lord. I give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's Acts 16, 22. And the crowds rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. 
When they had been struck, when they had struck them with many blows, and they threw them into prison, uh, and commanded the jailer to guard them securely. He and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all still here. And he called for the lights, and he rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. That's the Word of God. I want to step back and take a look at this. Do you see the obedience of Paul and Silas in here? It's pretty easy to pick that out, isn't it? They just got about beat to death and thrown into the inner prison. Um, The striking them with many, uh, beating them with rods, many blows with, with, with rods. These were Roman soldiers beating them up. The healthiest, strongest, baddest guys in the community. These were guys that knew how to beat somebody up. So they were pretty well bruised up. And to the point of death, close. They had to be. They had to be. They hand them over to this jailer and tell him to throw them into prison. And he doesn't just throw them into the outer prison. He throws them into the inner prison and fastens their feet in stocks. The stocks were a, a, uh, they were a method of torture more than imprisonment. You couldn't go anywhere. You had at least one other person stocked in with you. Uh, what I saw when I researched this a little bit, the Romans liked to do it, so I would have my feet in the stocks, and then somebody would be on the opposite side of me with their feet in the same block. With me, there was no way you're going to go anywhere. And it had to have hurt. It had to have been just torturous. Because what if one of them you wanted to turn over? Um, you know, it would have been terrible. But that's what he did to them. And still, they sang. 
they probably came out of being knocked out or passed out from the pain, and they honored God by singing and praying. Other people were in this inner prison, and they were in the outer prison in this house, more than likely. And they heard them. That's how obedient Paul and Silas were to the gospel, to their message of salvation through Jesus Christ. There's another real point of obedience in here too that just amazes me. This guy was so committed. The owner of this prison house, they call it a prison house because most Roman prisons were in somebody's home. They were usually in a downstairs area, a lower part of a building. They had the sewer ran through it. Not a nice contained um, polyvinyl sewer system, uh, probably an open trench that ran through this inner prison. There was the outer prison, which was more of a courtyard type setting. Then there was the inner prison, it was more like a big box. They didn't have cable TV or nice cots or blankets and all the other stuff. They had stocks. The guys that owned these houses, lots of them were retired Roman soldiers. And at the time, Roman soldiers were some of the richest men around because they were paid well for being in battle. And if you retired, you didn't, probably didn't have a retirement fund, so you found other ways to keep Rome paying you. Therefore, the jailer, he was pretty obedient to that paycheck. He was also pretty sadistic because he did not have to put them in the inner prison. All he had to do was put them in the outer prison and lock the door. They weren't going anywhere. But he did. He put them in a more deeper, more secure spot for torture. That's what those stocks were about. That's how obedient he was to Rome, to stick in two, guard them securely. That was the only rule that he had. Guard them securely. Um... He had lots of less secure ways that he could have still guarded them securely, but he did the most that he could do at that point in time. Now, having that kind of obedience, I think that all of us have obedience to something. All of us have made a commitment to something that we're willing to be that obedient to. It might be your spouse, might be a girlfriend or boyfriend, might be your children, might be your job. Might be your car, might be your video game, your toys, your guitar. You guys know what those things are. I know what mine are. This jailer, his was to Rome. Paul and Silas, there were there was to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were obedient to that point of death. Now, when this earthquake happened, that was God's reward to Paul and Silas for their obedience. They had to be in pain. They had to be just tortured and, and sickened by what had happened to them. They'd just been living in Lydia's house, sleeping in really nice beds, and 
covering themselves with purple fabric, fabric more than likely because that's what she sold. Um, they went from that point of having this beautiful, wonderful home that they're staying in and being very well taken care of there to going from that into the lowest part of the jailhouse by the sewer. And that's what their, that was their reality. And they still, in both places, were praising God. God rewards that kind of... He, record, he rewards all obedience, I believe. He rewards that kind of obedience by setting them free. And even with that freedom that they found, they didn't leave. Because they knew it was going to go bad for that jailer if they did. That jailer, he would have, it would have cost him his life had he not. If those prisoners had escaped from his house, they would have come and killed him, probably his kids, his donkey, his wife, and anybody else that lived in that house would have probably all died because he failed. That's why he was so ready to sit. He was obedient to his family, I believe, because he was so ready just knowing that the doors were open. He was ready to fall on his sword. He was ready to take his own life. He was obedient to Rome to the point of death. Hmm. God rewarded that obedience too. Because Paul cried out, this guy was part of the torture. He was part of what had just happened to him. And Paul called, cried out and saved his, saved his life. Do not harm yourself. We are all still here. Not just Paul and Silas, but everybody else that was in prison. None of them had to be, were, I don't believe any of them were really happy to be there. Um even in the luxurious prisons that we have now, if you opened the door and gave me a chance to get out, I'm going. But these guys were still there. They heard Paul and Silas singing and praying. They heard something different than fear and death and destruction. They heard praises to God for allowing them to be chosen to be martyred in the way that they were. To be part of the gospel of Christ and to die for the gospel of Christ was an honor to those two men. And that made these other guys curious enough to stay. Because it doesn't say Paul made them stay. He didn't cast a spell on them or hold them in their, in their, in their place or tell them that they couldn't take off. They stayed. This jailer... He didn't really believe it. He called for lights. He had to see it. And he was so afraid. He came uh, trembling with fear and fell down before Paul and Silas. He probably had heard him singing. It was in his house. He probably heard him singing. He probably heard him praying. He was probably pretty curious about what was going on down there, but not too worried about it because he had them locked up pretty tight. Um, so after he went in, um, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought, after he brought them out, he probably didn't bring them all the way out of the prison, but out of the inner prison, that spot 
because if I'm the jailer and I want to talk to you, I'm not going to go sit by the sewer to do that. Uh, so he probably brought him out into that inner, uh, to the outer part of the prison. And um, then this jailer, he bowed down and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He recognized their commitment, their obedience to that gospel that they were talking about, that they were singing about, to the God that they loved so much that they didn't take off and run away. To the God that they loved so much then they wanted to share so badly that they didn't leave because had they left, they wouldn't have had an opportunity to share with this jailer. Would you put yourself through torture so you could share the gospel with somebody that didn't deserve it? I don't know if I would. Don't know if I could. This is the best part of the scripture. Paul and Silas, what was their answer when this jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Somebody say it. That's exactly right. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. So what do you got to do to be saved? Believe. I don't have to get baptized? No? I don't have to read my Bible? I'm asking. Do I? To be saved? No, I don't. I have to believe in Jesus Christ. It's better if I have an understanding of Jesus Christ. But this jailer he was ready for that answer because he saw it in somebody else. He saw that obedience in somebody else. That obedience to Christ, that commitment to the gospel that these guys had. He was probably absolutely blown away. Um, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Who were the people in his house? Other prisoners. Maybe his family. Maybe his friends. Probably a wife. Probably some kids. Uh, it doesn't tell us all of that, but all who were in his house. So those prisoners would have been under his charge in his house, and they would have heard the gospel as well. Um, and he took them that very hour of night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized and he and all his household. He cleaned them up. This is God turning this guy's obedience from Rome to God. From, from being this devout soldier to being a carrier of the word a gospel-believing human being, God was changing him as he was doing that washing of their wounds, as he was trying to help them heal. Uh, and he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought him into his house and set food before them, and they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Everybody was converted. Everybody was converted. 
Why? It's because Paul and Silas were committed to the gospel. And they were obedient to it no matter what happened to them. No matter what happened to them, they were obedient to that. They didn't do any magic. They didn't heal a wound. They didn't, they didn't fix somebody's crippled feet in front of them. They didn't run away because they needed to share the gospel with this jailer. Go back to this woman. You remember Lydia? She was the first convert in Europe. What city were they in? Philippi. There's a book in the Bible. In my Bible, there's a book of Philippi. Of the Philippians. It's about the church in Philippi. Lydia was the founder of that church. This jailer was more than likely one of the elders of that church. More than likely. Because he had that great commitment to Rome, and God changed that and made his priorities a gospel instead of the Roman law. If I could allow God just to change me so my commitment to the things that are drawing me away from him were toward the gospel, what could happen in my life? What could happen in the lives of people around me? What could happen in the lives of people around you? Do you have people in your lives that do not believe in the Lord? Do you have people that want to argue the gospel of Christ with you? I do. Do you have people that look down on you or persecute you or slander your name because you're a believer? If you don't believe so, you might talk to people a little closer and listen to what they say and how they say it. If I took the diligence that it took for me to build up my company and make something that I could survive on and that I could raise a family on, if I could take that, that commitment that I put to that and put that toward sharing the Word of God, sharing the gospel of Christ with non-believers, sharing the gospel of Christ with others around me, how much change could there be? My conversion story has to do with a guy that didn't even realize he was sharing his faith with me. And he saved my life. I was ready to commit suicide and I was that close. And this guy cared enough to ask me what was going on and listen. He tells the story as, Larry told me all this stuff and I had no answers for him. There wasn't anything I could do I felt like a failure. I felt like there was nothing that I could say to make his situation or his problems change. Well, he couldn't make my situation or my problems change, but it, he clicked something inside of me that uh, started the change in my heart. God was responsible for the rest of that. 
but there was enough there to keep me alive long enough so God allowed me to be who I am. I have been blessed to be the ministry leader for Celebrate Recovery for 14 years. Well, not 14 years. I've been doing that job for 12 years, but I've been in Celebrate Recovery in Hastings for 14 years. I've been blessed there. I've been so blessed, I have got to share my story all over the country. I've got to share my story all over Nebraska. The one time that I shared it in Grand Island, I thought it was just a huge flop. Three years later, I'm in Florida, and I hear this guy talking about his conversion experience, and he's talking about the big hippie from Grand Island that was talking about Celebrate Recovery and how God changed his life so he didn't order that he might do that program. And he was talking about me. I was ready to quit when that happened. I was ready to give up. I was obedient enough to go to resign. I wasn't obedient enough to go and commit more time to that. God honored my obedience with a blessing from above that there's no other answer for that. I've lived in Nebraska my whole life, well, most of my life. I'm more comfortable in Junietta than I am in Omaha, for sure. Uh, I'd rather be in Hastings than Los Angeles, that's for sure. I'd rather drive anywhere besides Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, there's, you know, I never, ever want to go through Atlanta ever again. But if the Lord told me that that's where I'm going, that's where I'm going. Because I know that there's a reward for following after what Christ has for me to do. So, what I'd really like... everyone to take away from here tonight how important it is to recognize that obedience, to recognize somebody's commitment, whatever that commitment's to. You can encourage people to build that character asset because that's what it is. It's part of your character being able to make that commitment and be obedient to that. If you notice somebody that is committed to a job that is not the best job, if you notice somebody that is doing something that's way out of the ordinary for you and they do it daily and they do it hard and they work hard at it, recognize that. Thank them for it. Encourage them along their way. That would be obedience to this message that I just gave. And it's not hard to do. In fact, if somebody comes up and gives me an attaboy for stuff, it usually works pretty well. It encourages me so I can stick to it and I can go on. Um, if nobody says a word to me about what I'm doing, I wonder if it's having any effect at all. I want to be effective. I want to be effective in sharing the gospel. I want to be effective in preaching the word. I want to be effective in doing that. And it's not something that I possess. I'm dyslexic. I'm, it was a miracle that I read all of this in front of you guys. Because I don't have it. I don't own that. That's not part of who I am. God allows that. 
Because I'm obedient. Because I'm committed to the Word of God. I'd like you to start noticing those things. I'd like everybody to find something, just a small thing, and commit to it. And just follow it through. Something that you really don't want to do, but you know needs to be done. Just commit to doing it. Follow it through. And see if God doesn't bless you. It's a challenge. God, challenge challenge me in your giving. Try and outgive God. It's the same kind of, it's the same premise. He's going to bless you for that. If he doesn't, come back, kick me in the shin. And I offer that to people all the time. Kick me in the shin if I'm lying. Go ahead, kick me. I haven't been kicked in the shin yet. This might be, this might be the group. Well, if, please don't all line up and do it all at the same time. Okay? Um, that's what I'd like, to, I'd like to see that happen. What kind of change could it make if everybody in this room just saw one person and encouraged that person to continue doing what they're already doing? And then recognizing their obedience to whatever it is that they're doing. It would be a big change for this community. And those kind of changes are infective. They will cross over lines of of race or um, just all all the lines that divide us as humans. Um, Paul crossed that line by caring about that jailer so much that all these other guys followed along. Everybody else that was in their prison followed along because they were impressed by his commitment. And his desire was to share the gospel with this jailer. uh, Now, with that, I want to recognize everybody's mom. Does everybody in here have a mom? If you don't believe you've had a mother, check under your shirt about right here. I'm not going to show you mine because mine's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Ah. The commitment that it takes to to bear a child, to carry a child. Um, just to carry through birth. Man, that's huge. That's huge. I know mothers that didn't ever want to have a baby. I know the world brings about all kinds of hatred, all kinds of depravity, all kinds of troubles, all kinds of sinful behaviors that draw mothers and children apart. God has the power to heal that. My Bible tells me to honor my father and my mother. It doesn't say, honor your parents if they agree with you. Honor your mother if she helps you get that car. I don't say nothing like that. Honor your father and your mother. If they beat you, honor them. If they neglect you, honor them. If you feel abused by the people around you, your mother especially, honor her. 
the Lord will honor those things back to you. So let me pray. Brandon's going to come forward and explain about the communion here, and, and I think the band's going to come forward and play in their song. And I'd just like to pray. Father, thank you for your word, for your, the time that I had to share here this evening, uh, for the attentive ears that you have brought to this place. And thank you, Father, for my mother. Uh, she's no longer with us anymore, but Lord, uh, the woman loved me the best way she knew how. She did for me the best that she knew how to do. And Father, uh, without her, I wouldn't be here, and I certainly would not be the man who I am today. Uh, Lord, even with all the struggles and all the problems that I brought to her, uh, she never stopped loving me. Uh, Father, thank you just for that little glimpse of you in her eyes. Lord, I'd ask that uh, you would heal everyone that has a wound concerning a parent, uh, that you'd do that today, right here, right now. Oh, Lord, that you would break hearts and you would open eyes and minds, and that you would just give us the obedience to our parents and the commitment to the gospel to carry out what your word tells us that we should be carrying out. In Christ's name I pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.